Welcome to Money Isn't Scary, a podcast for women to explore our fears around money and inspire each other to be financially empowered. I'm Megan Dwyer, and I'm making it my personal mission to remove the taboo around money and help women rewrite their stories so they can stop staying small and begin to live life on their terms. In this show, we get real and uncomfortable as we unpack our beliefs, thoughts, and behaviors that aren't serving us anymore. I can't wait for you to join me on this journey. So let's dive in. Hi, you guys. Welcome to another episode of the Money Isn't Scary podcast. I'm Megan Dwyer. Today, I'm chatting with Emily McDermott, host of the Moms Overcoming Overwhelm podcast. Emily is so relatable. In addition to being a simplicity seeker, she's also a wife and a mother to two boys. Emily likes to cut through the noise and the stuff of everyday life to live mindfully, intentionally, and in a way that reflects her values and priorities. This was such an inspiring conversation for me. I have to say that after this conversation with Emily, I was super empowered to make more clear decisions and finally clean out the clutter in my house. I've since taken a first pass at my closet and cleaned out so many dresses that have accumulated over the years and have been those um, aspirational clothes that we talk about more in the episode. I just loved this conversation, you guys, and I know you're going to take so many good nuggets away from it. But before we get into it, here's a little bit more about Emily. Emily McDermott is a wife, mother of two energetic boys, and a simplicity seeker. She's also the host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Moms Overcoming Overwhelm, where she helps moms declutter their homes, heads, and hearts. Emily enjoys writing poetry, dancing, and eating peanut butter out of the jar. And if that's not relatable, I don't know (laughs) who else is. In our conversation, we talk about the link between capacity and clutter, how clutter impacts anxiety, focus, and physical health, Emily's cycle of minimalism and how it relates to intention, and so much more. You guys can check out Emily's podcast, Moms Overcoming Overwhelm, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can also check out her free Facebook group where she does decluttering challenges, which will inspire you to start cleaning out yourself. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the amazing Emily McDermott. Enjoy. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Money Isn't Scary podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. I'm really excited to chat today. Yeah, I am too. This is going to be a really fun conversation, I feel like. So I'd love to start by having uh, you tell everyone a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Yeah, of course. So I'm Emily McDermott and my husband and I are coming up on 15 years for uh, how long we've been married. Yeah. And I have a, there's a super secret trip planned, but I don't know where we're going. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Really excited about that. And we have two boys that are seven and five and a half. The half is very important according to my youngest. I have, my boys are the exact same age, except not five and a half yet. He was just, he was just five in June. So, but I know. (laughs) Every birthday, we celebrate every half birthday. So yes, it's a big deal. Yeah, (laughs) yes, definitely. And I am a poet. So I actually do custom poetry for special occasions for people. And then I'm also a podcast host and do decluttering coaching. So I help overwhelmed moms declutter their homes, heads and hearts. And I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. And I'm so in awe of this fun podcasting space I find myself in, especially since I 
previously was a writer and a blogger. And now this new audio format, I feel like, as I'm sure you do, it's an amazing way to reach women um, in a different way, which is yeah. fantastic. And just connect. It's just such a great way for me to, I, I always felt like I was meant for podcasting because I always love to talk. Like on my report cards and I was a kid, it was like, yeah, Megan's doing great, but she's a chatterbox. She likes to talk too much. And I'm like, well, you know, here we are today. It makes sense. <laughs> um, I love this. I love what you do. And this whole idea of decluttering coaching just calms me down a little bit as I kind of look around the room as we're chatting and just see the, you know, the randomness of the things that pile up. So tell us a little bit more about that, how you got into that kind of work and why. Yeah. So my story actually begins with infertility, which seems like a weird place <laughs> to start the story. But my husband and I wanted to have kids. And then when we were trying, it wasn't happening. So we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And at the time I was working full time, saying yes to all the volunteer you know, activities, chronic people pleaser, perfectionist, all of that. Mm -hmm. And I realized that if we were going to have any chance to conceive that I needed to not only make physical space in our home, but also that emotional and mental space in order to really make that room in order to have a baby. So we were lucky enough to have our oldest via IVF. And then uh, God said, you're doing great. So I'm going to give you one more you weren't expecting. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. So our youngest, we call him our free baby. I haven't told him that to his face. I'm sure I will when he's older. Um, but then it was unexpectedly having two under two, which we never thought yeah. we would have. Yeah. And all of the things that I had done to lay the foundation of decluttering and also more of the, the head and the heart with being able to simplify my life, simplify my decisions in particular, really helped me when I was experiencing postpartum anxiety with my second. And now all of this has really helped me in every phase of my motherhood. And I see so many women and moms, especially that are drowning in stuff and commitments and um, the decision fatigue, and they don't know what to do. And so it's really been a blessing to be able to support them now in this new way. Mm, I love that because you are talking to one of those overwhelmed, chaotic <laughs> moms who is, again, feels like the world around me gets out of control. And therefore mm -hmm. I, I do struggle with that decision fatigue. I do struggle with like, where, where do I put things? Where do I find things? Right. And it's, it, it can be overwhelming, not just when you're handling the kids and you're handling your, the day, but just, you know, the work and everything during the day, but just life. Like, it just feels like Sometimes I get this, I, this, I guess, um, shame that I have to like apologize for the clutter in my house. If somebody comes over or, you know, and if it, I think that's a big thing for women is the, the way our house is, and it's such a reflection of us internally. Right. Yeah. And I think the problem is that you and I spoke about just prior to recording is this idea of capacity, which is I'm, I'm huge about, yeah. which is that we are exceeding our capacity in every sense of the word, you know, with what's in our home, with what we're doing, how we're spending our time. And so it's unfortunate, but true that 
people don't even want to have other people over. I mean, let alone a surprise guest. (laughs) You definitely don't want that because it's like, you feel like you said, it's a reflection of you because primarily still, at least in the United States, women are mostly responsible for managing the home. But the problem is we're managing so many other things and we're far exceeding our capacity to be able to manage it in a realistic and healthy way. So I'm constantly asking women, you know, do you feel like you're exceeding your capacity? And if so, what can we do so that we can remove, remove what's not serving you and your family. So you can start more to live within that capacity, which is different at different seasons in our life and especially in different seasons of our motherhood. So I feel like it's really critical. Yeah. Oh, that's so spot on. And it's funny. I just think about over the weekend, we were, we had a little park meetup with some of the families, the kids in my son's second grade class. And he decides the park's just in our neighborhood. So we walked there and he decides he's going to invite like the whole class over for lunch afterwards. And that's fine. Um, I told him he could have one friend over and he decides to invite everybody, but yeah, he ended up probably having maybe like seven or eight kids over, which is a lot. And the parents were very, very nice. And some of the parents were like, oh, I'll order pizza. And one of the parents also sent Uber Eats, some juice boxes and some Oreos. And that was so nice and awesome. I also felt so overwhelmed because again, that feeling of like, okay, just when the parents come to either drop them off or pick them up or whatever, just step over the Legos on the floor and don't <laughs> mind the, all the the kids' um papers that come home from school mm-hmm. there's just a pile of them in the kitchen and stuff and you're right there is such a um a reflection on us and we take it personally and i think it really is not it's not about the stuff it's not about the house or the way it looks it's it's deeper than that it's about that feeling of capacity yeah um, you're spot on so where do you start where did it start where did you start um and how do you i guess with two young boys, um, at the same stage as I am right now in life, where's a good place to start tackling this? Yeah, because it is so overwhelming. And a lot of times, and I know this is true for me, when I see something is being too much or too overwhelming, you don't even want to start. Like you don't know where to start. You don't know how to start. Exactly. And so I actually recommend starting in the most unemotional, unsentimental areas possible. You don't want to start with you know, the onesie that you brought your baby home from, from the hospital, you don't want to start grandmother's China. I actually recommend starting in your car. And the reason is that it is a small contained space. It's mostly trash or things that need to be taken back to their homes inside of your home. Mm -hmm. And once you have cleaned that and tidied it, which probably might take 15 minutes, maybe a half hour, then you feel really great. And it's like a, it's like a quick win. Then you can be in your car and you're like, oh my gosh, this feels fantastic. So um, that's one place. And then also your bathroom, similarly, you know, expired medication or makeup. You don't know when you got it, you know, like all of these things it's decision-making. So decluttering is decision-making. Yes. So if you look at it that way, then the reason that we have clutter is delayed decisions and delayed action. So let's start with where decisions are easiest to make. Then you start building your decision-making muscles. And as you move from those unsentimental areas, then you can start doing more the closets or some of the sentimental stuff, because I know at least for me as a mom with young kids, 
going into my closet, there's a lot of what I call aspirational clutter, which is that if I weighed 10 pounds, 10 pounds less or two kids ago, or when I used to wear dresses all the time or all of these things, Mm -hmm. it's filled with all of this aspirational stuff where I can make excuses why I'm holding on to it. I'm not going to make an excuse why I have to hold on to expired medication. So that's why we want to start in those unemotional places first. Yeah. And start building that muscle. Like you said, just getting practice and making decisions. So start Mm -hmm. with what's easiest. And that makes an awful lot of sense because I think, yeah, clothes, just working through even the kids clothes that they've grown out of and switching over the, their closets and drawers for the next season can be emotional for me. You know, you and I just said, we both have kindergartners that just started. That's an emotional stage for us. We don't have babies anymore. Right. So when you're pulling out these things that are, you know, size two T three T and you're like, I'm never going to, you're, I'm never going to have a child to dress these in again. That can, that can be a lot. So it's hard Mm -hmm. to, it's hard to say goodbye to those things. And that tends to be the place I focus on the first, first, same with my closet too. I have to say, there's a lot of, I have a lot of that aspirational clothes in there. Um, a lot of, I was just going through this the other day. I had my first in-person client meeting in years and I'm like, what do I wear? Because I have these two pairs of leggings, black <laughs> leggings that I wear anytime I have to go out of the house basically. And they were both dirty. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so what do I do? So I go through these dresses and I'm like, what? Most of these don't really fit me anymore. And it was hard. So I, and I said that I have so many dresses from years ago when I used to wear them every day to work, but now I can clear this out. It's just a matter of taking the time to do it. Yes. And I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the impetus for me to really get more deep into this minimalism cycle, as I call it, was dresses. I mean, dresses were my kryptonite. I would always be looking online for them. I would always be buying them. And then I realized in stay-at-home motherhood, like, when am I going to wear like 50 dresses? And so that was kind of the catalyst for me to really look at the excess and why was I holding on to things? And my season of life had changed and I was needing to accept that I'm more in like a leggings phase of life and not like having 50 dresses in my closet phase of life. And that's okay. Yeah. But that's hard. It's hard to admit that you are not who you used to be and you're not Mm -hmm. where you used to be. That's something I've really struggled with a lot lately. I am, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in a couple months. And I, it's just sort of hitting me that I am that age that I am at that place and that stage. Cause I still think of myself as the same person I was before kids. Yeah, I have done the same and I'm a little older than you, but I think that one of the things that I help people with is recognizing that if you go into your closet or if you go into a space and it's making you feel bad about yourself because it's the things that don't fit you and the things that you would have time to do if you didn't have all of these other, you know, responsibilities, you can feel sad, you can feel resentful. Mm -hmm. And all of that is that emotional and mental clutter. And so being able to say, it's okay, I can pick this hobby up at a later time. I can go out and get clothes at a later time that might be a different size. It's okay. And giving yourself that permission, then you're able to release yourself 
of all of that mental, emotional clutter. Cause something cannot take up a lot of physical space, but it can take up a ton of emotional space. So yes. you have to think about both and not be in a situation where you're going into your closet every day and you're feeling bad about yourself because we already berate ourselves so much as women and moms. I just don't think we need any more of that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> removing oh. all of that excess really helps with that too. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and dresses are one of those things, right? That we just talked about. But for me, it's also I'm also um, a bag and shoe person too. So I have a number of bags that I I keep with me because they remind me. I guess even if I haven't used them in years, but they remind me of a stage of my life when that I'm not at right now. And this is something that I talk all the time about when it comes to money and intentional spending. It's like I was buying things during the pandemic online, right? I was buying shoes. I was buying probably not dresses, but I was probably buying bags and things like that because in my head, I was imagining myself anywhere, but where I was right then and there, I was, that was a really hard time. As you know, Um, I was working full-time from home. My husband lost his job and I had a three and a one-year-old at home. So I was struggling and I needed, I couldn't go anywhere and I needed to do something to make myself feel better. And so my only kind of, I guess, socially acceptable and healthy coping mechanism at the time was shopping. And so Mm -hmm. I would do it. And there's still things that I think are sitting in my closet that have their, that have tags on them. So you are not, you're not alone at that. Yeah. yeah. That's why (laughs) I I started the podcast to say, because I know I wasn't alone and I wanted to share it and help, help other women know that it's okay. Like they're, we're all in this together. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is, I want to chat a little bit and we kind of got to this, but can we talk a little bit more about that correlation between clutter and anxiety and how that impacts us? I guess the way we either feel about ourselves or the way our house is how that impacts the way we kind of project out into the world and the way that we perceive ourselves in the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I always remind women that clutter is not neutral. It's not just extra stuff. It's actually impacting our health, our peace, our energy, our focus. Some of these things that I call our most precious resources. And there was one study that I just want to highlight where there were 30 couples that the researchers came and the couples took the researchers around their house and the women were the ones, I guess, primarily giving the tours. And they were saying if their house was described as cluttered or messy or unfinished or so forth, they actually had higher cortisol levels in their Mm -hmm. saliva than women that were describing their homes as comfy or cozy or kind of more positive terms. Mm -hmm. And these women also worked full-time out of the home and they had greater depressed mood. They had a more difficult transition from work to home. They also had more marital issues. Um, and then also the men did not experience the same rise in cortisol levels. So anytime you think, oh, this clutter is stressing me out, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, it actually impacts our stress hormone. And it also is seen by our brain as visual stimulus overwhelm. So if you look around your kitchen and you say, okay, those papers, I need to sign that permission slip. 
put away those school papers. That is supposed to be in the dishwasher. This is supposed to go there. We just look around and it's undone tasks. And most of them, at least in my home, I perceive that I'm the one that needs to be doing them. So it impacts our focus. If you have a ton of things in your visual field, it's harder for you to focus. It actually impacts your short-term memory. And that can cause anxiety as well. If you feel scattered, if you feel like you're not able to focus on one thing at a time, I have so many women in my group that are either self-diagnosed or clinically diagnosed ADHD, and they're just really struggling to focus on anything. So it's yeah, anxiety and focus and just our physical health. It's all impacted by clutter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so fascinating. And because I see it, I, I, I know that I see it in myself. I just didn't realize that there was actual kind of evidence to all of that. So that's really, really interesting. Yeah. So I want to get a little deeper into this right now. So we live in a culture, right? That puts so much emphasis on having all the things with the goal being to accumulate more and more and more things, right? This is our culture. This is the society that we were born into, right? Which we know, right, from everything we've just talked about, accumulating more and more things isn't really what's best for us, right? But it is somehow in our minds directly related to our own worth. And I believe, I look at it from the angle of money, it's also directly related to our relationship with money and, you know, how we feel about, ourselves in relation to other people, right? Keeping up with the Joneses and comparing ourselves to, you know, the family next door that might drive this car or might, you know, have this whatever fancy house or something. So you talk about something in your work called the cycle of minimalism. Can you describe this a little bit more in detail and Mm -hmm. tell us how intention really comes into play? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And what you were talking about, just our, our consumerist society, And, you know, when you are meeting another person at a party or whatever, the first question is, what do you do? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's our roles. It's what we do. It's what we have. And there's something called the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation. And that is that we adapt to this happiness set point. So you get the new bag or the new shoes for the example you gave. And you get them and you're so happy and you have the dopamine hit and you're so excited. And then after a certain amount of time, that novelty wears off and we're kind of returned to that set happiness point. And so we think, oh, and I see this a lot with parents, with kids too, with toys. Well, my kids are acting bored. So I need to get them more toys when really they're overwhelmed, (laughs) Um, which is a whole other, you know, conversation. But um, so what it was for me, like I said, was dresses. I would go online. I would spend all this time trying to find the perfect dress to wear to the perfect thing when I'm out on the perfect date with my husband or whatever. And then when I realized like, I don't need all of these dresses and started letting them go. And then specifically in my case, I was contributing or giving them to an organization that was helping women who were trying to go on interviews, you know, but didn't have didn't have dresses, then I realized, oh, wow, I, this, this is good. Like I actually was acquiring less. I was being more intentional with what I was purchasing because I realized I had this excess. And as you acquire less, which is kind of the first step, 
then you realize that you're more content with what you have. You have gratitude for what you already own and you realize that you can be generous with your excess. And so then you're actually requiring less. I realized I didn't need the 50 dresses sitting in my closet to make me happy. And just because I had one dress instead of 50 didn't mean that I wasn't going to go out on a date with my husband. You know, we have these aspirational ideas in our mind about how we're using these things, but we don't need usually as much as we have. So first acquiring less, then realizing I required less. And then I was starting to desire less. And you can think about this also in food terms. Like if you're having your, you know, junk food of choice, and then you start having less of that. And you're like, you know what, this never was making me feel really good long-term to begin with. And then you start desiring it less. You start desiring the things that you know are actually impacting your health in a positive way and are making you feel better overall. And so then I started desiring less and I can now I can easily ignore Instagram ads. I can unsubscribe from retail emails. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Mm -hmm. And that desiring less means I'm not going to go to Target and just get whatever. I'm going to stick to my list and I'm fine with it. And so it really is this cycle of acquiring less, requiring less, and then desiring less, which has been incredibly helpful and really a blessing in my own life because now I have the space and the ability to just breathe and to enjoy my life because I'm not on this hedonic treadmill, keep going, 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 you're going to be exhausted. So yeah, I love this because it it relates to the work that I do so much. Like you're never going to get there, right? You have this, you think that like getting that new bag, I was literally just, I told you I love bags just yesterday. I was kind of, as I was sort of paying attention in a meeting, I was also, I got, I got an email for, uh, for an ad from this company that sells, that sells these super cute bags. So of course I click on it and I start scrolling in and I'm like, Oh, should I get the one that's in the the small tote or the medium size? Or, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't need this. I don't need this, Megan. You have, but it's just, I think it started like by default. And in my mind, I was like, is this bag going to make me any happier? Because and it, and yeah. this is what I actually told myself, like, yeah, it might. The excitement of having this bag right away might make me feel get that like boost, right? That boost of um, endorphins, and it might make me feel good about myself but it's going to wear off. It's going to wear off after a little bit. And then I'm probably going to feel maybe a little guilt and, you know, maybe some shame around how much money I spent on it. And I could have used those dollars somewhere else. Plus again, looking at all the other bags that I still have in my closet. So yeah, I remember, and it's funny that we talk about the dresses because it made me think those, that stage of life that I was at pre-kids when we would go to like, 11 weddings a year, right? And a lot of them would be, would overlap with the same groups of people. So God forbid, you know, somebody saw you wear the same dress to a wedding twice, right? So I was doing the same thing. I was going out on, I remember like popping in on my way home from work to the mall real quick. Cause I got, I've got like 20 minutes, but I got to find myself a new dress. <laughs> it's like, what's the point looking back? It just seems so silly. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> 
Yeah. And then of course, like no one actually pays any attention. Not <laughs> at all. Wearing. Not at all. But we think that it does. And we just think mm-hmm. it's again, it's I guess it's the ego, right? I mean, we yeah. think that kind of the world revolves around us, even though, or maybe subconsciously, but I don't think we're actually aware of that. We just want to look our best and feel our best during that time, right? And it's just so funny looking back again what the, my priorities were back then and what they are now. Yeah. And I think that, like you said, you have sort of that dopamine hit and that is what you're anticipating when you're buying something, but you don't think long-term about where am I going to keep it? I'm going to have to maintain it. I'm going to have to move it to clean around it. I'm going to have to feel maybe some guilt. Like you said, there's all of that time and emotional clutter that we don't think about when we're about to make a perhaps impulsive purchase. Yes. And so it's really having that pause, which I know you talk a lot about in your work and just Mm -hmm. having that pause, just, it can be a very simple pause and asking yourself some, you know, some basic questions about, okay, what is the long-term plan for such thing? Like, is it something that is really worth the money, the time to maintain it, my energy, the guilt? Is it worth all of those things? Because it's not just the dollar amount that you're paying. You're paying with your time and you're paying with all these other things too, but we don't typically think about it that way. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too, what you just said, because I always, I I try to do the pause now, but I do the pause and I say, okay, is this in alignment with my values and my, in, in, in my priorities and what matters to me? Right. And it doesn't always have to be, but this is because this is a work in progress here. This is a practice. Um, but now these are more questions that I can be asking myself again, where am I going to store it? I can't tell you the number of bags that I just moved from like one place in the kitchen to another place in the living room and then back to the kitchen and then all over, like, because I don't know where to put it. I want it somewhere downstairs near the door so I can grab it on my way out, but I don't know where that goes and the kids backpacks and all, you know, all that stuff. So it just creates more clutter. So I don't think about that idea of like, well, if I bring something new into the house, I still have all this other stuff that takes the place of where I might put that too. Right. So it's kind of working through all that other stuff that I have accumulated as well. So that's really interesting. People call that the stuff shuffle. <laughs> yeah, there's a name for it. You're just I love moving that. the stuff from one pile, yeah, one place to the next. And you're like, oh, I need to clean. So I got to move it here and then I got to move it there and move it there. And so that's pretty normal. And, and one of the main things that I ask people is, you know, where is it? Where is its home? I mean, and when we're teaching our kids about this too, we want to teach them everything has its place. You know, where does the stuffed animal live? Where do your Legos live? And it's the same concept for us as adults that I always say, you know, your kitchen counter is not a system. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we need to have actual homes for things. And if you set a set, you know, boundary and things do not fit within that boundary, then you're having to make decisions within that artificial boundary. And you're just kind of working from one thing to the next, making those decisions and asking those questions. And it is very emotionally and physically taxing sometimes to do that. But that's why I try to recommend people do it in 15, 20 minute chunks at a time and really break it down into its most small you know, possible time blocks because we're all busy and doing a bunch of things. People don't have like entire weekends to devote to decluttering their house. It's just not feasible. 
And I think that's why I avoid it is because I think it's this big thing that I, ha I have to dedicate an entire day to it. Right. And, and um, have create again, systems and a process and everything. And so I just, I'm like, that just feels too much. It feels too overwhelming. So I'm just going to not do it. Yeah. That, that's the, Oh, sorry. I was going to say that's the perfectionism. So perfectionism and thinking, well, if I can't do it completely right, I'm not going to do it at all. Then that causes procrastination. So there's that other relationship between uh, perfectionism and procrastination. And that's why most of us don't tackle the clutter because we're like, well, I don't have enough time and I want to do it right. And so I'm just not going to do it at all. Right. Yeah, totally. That is spot on for me. <laughs> uh, this is a very timely conversation, by the way. Um, so to that point, right. You had said earlier, tackle the easy things first and then tackle the harder things, right? Like going through, for me, it's a lot of stuff. It's the closet, right? And it's also a lot of like the kids artwork. And I never know some things I throw out, but I keep way too much probably. And then clutter just builds up in the house and again, different, different rooms. But what do you recommend or what are some tips on, on starting with those items that are more sentimental that are harder and and i i think about this from the from the clothes perspective because again something that i think is like mm. well you know i really liked that dress and i spent a lot of money on that dress should i just yeah. throw it away should i just give it away should i resell it because that's a big thing now um but that feels again mm. that piece feels so overwhelming to me. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that, on how to help with actually once we're, once we decide to move forward and take that action, where do we go from there? Yeah. So when it comes to the closet specifically, again, we're going to be using this concept of artificial boundaries, or it's also called the container concept. And what that means is we're going to devote a certain amount of space to a certain category of things. So let's say when it comes to short sleeve shirts, long sleeve shirts, dresses, and so forth. And what I recommend is if they're hanging, you can even put a little piece of masking tape temporarily on the hanging rod. And then you're saying, okay, this is how much space I'm going to devote. And that way you're taking that one category of things. And when you put them back, you're not taking out everything you own and throwing it on your bed right. <laughs> because people don't have enough time to do that. But if you're taking, let's say the dresses and you take them all off and then you're like, okay, I'm going to start. I actually do this with my, my kids. Uh, we play a game. It's called love, like, maybe no. Okay? okay. So you start with the loves. Loves are what fits you right now. If you were to go to a party or a date or a wedding or a business thing, you know, that you would wear it like today. You start with those, you see how much space that those take up. And if there is still room left, then you can put maybes if they fit. Um, I mean, likes, likes. Yeah. <laughs> loves and likes, sorry. And then when you're looking at space, like, okay, well, there's not really space left. Then when it comes to the maybes, there's a couple of things you can do. If you feel like you can't make that decision right now for a variety of reasons, whether it be that aspiration or how much you paid for it. You can do something called putting in an out of sight, out of mind bin. So you're literally taking it out of your closet because when you go into your closet, it should be only be what fits you and what you are wearing now. Okay. Mm -hmm. It should be like super simple to get dressed. 
And that out of sight, out of mind bin, you want to make sure you can't see through it. And also in the case of kids, if you're doing this with toys, the kids can't see through it because kids are pretty nosy, at least at my house. Oh yeah. And then you want to put everything in. You want to put a sticky note on it with a date, which might be 30, 60, 90 days from now. And then this is very important put a reminder in your phone. And so when that time passes, if you've noticed, like you haven't missed a thing, you haven't thought of a thing. If you're feeling brave, maybe donate it outright. And if you're thinking, okay, I want to see what's in there. I kind of call it like Pandora's box. Because yeah. once you open it, you're like, oh, yeah. then you can decide how much time and capacity and bandwidth do I have to devote to donating these things? Is it something where I want to resell? Well, if you do, I recommend having a selling threshold for me on like Facebook marketplace or something, it's $50. If I'm going to be doing something for less than $50, unless it's like a specific exception, like I was helping my kids sell their toys so they could buy a Lego set, then I was selling stuff for five or $10. But otherwise, what is your time worth? Think of an hour of your time. How much is that worth? Then think about posting it, following up on it, dealing with flaky people, Mm -hmm. getting it out your door. It needs to be worth your time. And if not, then there are donation pickup services, or of course you have, you know, your goodwill and so forth. And you do whatever is in your capacity to do right now. When you get through those first layers, then you can be more discerning about how you donate, where you donate, whether you have the time and energy to resell. But at the beginning, I really encourage people do what you need to do to get it out of your house. And then you can be more discerning as things are less overwhelming. So that's how I would approach the closet. And I just talked a lot. So oh, that was <laughs> amazing that. though. That was so, so helpful. Everything you said was like genius to me. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to take my closet. I'll start maybe this weekend, but I'm not going to dedicate a whole day to it because I cannot, mm-hmm. but maybe I'll take, you know, 20 minutes and just focus on one little piece of it. I do have a section of dresses and maybe I'll start there. Um, because there's, there's a lot of dresses that I wore to, you know, rehearsal dinners or showers or things like that, that I'm not going to wear anymore. I'm just not, you know, I don't have the occasions to do it. And if I do, who knows if it even fits me anymore. So I think taking it in little tiny pieces, it already just feels like a weight lifted off my shoulders, just the way way you described it. Good. That makes me happy because that's what I want every woman listening to know is that if you are like, okay, I don't have a whole day. No one has a whole day. It doesn't mean that you need to wait until the magical day when your spouse or partner takes the kids out of the house and then you have this magical time because you're not going to want to declutter when that happens. Right. So just being able to do like today, I'm focusing on socks. Today, I'm focusing on bras. Today, I'm focusing on short sleeve shirts. Set that timer for 15 minutes. My solo episodes are 15 minutes or less for this exact reason so that people can set their timer, listen to the podcast. And then when it's done, you've finished one little task and you're like, oh, wow, this is doable. Like this is sustainable. I can do this. And then you gain that momentum to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's such a great, great, like motivation for me. So I'm, I want you to check back in on me on Monday and see how far I've come. (laughs) Um, But one other question before we, we start to wrap up, we have the holidays coming up. 
And I know this is a super chaotic time. It's hard to resist. I think sometimes the temptation to just do and have more, especially because for me, it's not about me. It's about the kids, right? And the experience that I want to give them. So what are some tips maybe specifically to help us get through the holidays and this crazy season without all the overwhelm and without, you know, accumulating all the unnecessary stuff? Yeah, I think that you said something earlier that really speaks to uh, my suggestions, which is understanding what your family values are Mm -hmm. and being able to live in alignment with those. So my recommendation is to make a list of activities that you usually do for the holidays and then put them in two columns, one being life-giving and one being (laughs) life-draining. And so let's say some examples of this are sending out Christmas cards, baking cookies, buying gifts, going to parties, that kind of thing. And, you know, when you're looking at the life draining ones, you may not be able to remove those things, but you may be able to tweak them or kind of opt out of certain aspects of them. So in my family, we only do gift exchanges or we only give gifts to the kids, Mm -hmm. the adults in my extended family. A long time ago, we just decided everyone has what they need anyway. We're just not going to do that. So that's less pressure for buying gifts. Also focusing on those experiences. One thing that we've done in my extended family, which I think you'll like Megan is having 529 plan contributions. Oh yeah. I've had this. Um, Yep. Yep. I'm thinking about this already. Yeah. And then memberships like the the zoo, museums, your favorite trampoline park. There are things around me called toy libraries, which are really cool. It's like libraries, but for toys and you can have memberships for those so that your kids can go and like play with toys and you don't have to have them in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Or like swim lessons, gymnastics lessons. Now your family members, they may not be on board and getting all experiences, but if they were going to budget a certain amount per kid, maybe saying, Hey, maybe doing half of it for an experience membership type of thing. And then if you still want to get, you know, the physical things for them to open, giving a wish list far in advance. I'm a little late on mine. I normally do it around this time and I haven't because my kids just play with Legos. <laughs> so it's just a matter of picking out Lego sets. But I think that, you know, for Christmas cards, that used to give me a ton of stress because I'm like, well, we have to have the perfect professional photo yes. and then I have to order them. Last year I did some random photo of us. I can't even remember what it was. I'm just going to do the photo that we took at Legoland over the summer. And I'm just going to be okay with that because it's like, why am I putting this excess pressure on myself? That is life draining. Let's tweak it. I'd still like to send out cards, but how can I make it that it's not overwhelming or feeling like it's something that we should be doing. And then focusing on those activities that you want to do to build memories with your kids. So maybe that's going through a winter walk of lights, or maybe it is doing like one day of cookies, but doing that in lieu of the, all the parties you're invited to that are completely draining you that you never wanted to go to in the first place. It's really being able to make those decisions. And Joshua Becker um, has this quote. I love Joshua Becker is very big in the minimalism space. And he said that, um, have the courage to build your life around what is really most important to you. Yes. And I love this because it sometimes takes courage to go against the grain or to do something countercultural, but sticking to this is in alignment with my family's values and I don't have to make excuses or apologize for it. 
then we're able to feel really good about how we're going into this holiday season. I absolutely love that. I love that quote because it is spot on with the money piece too, right? And because then we're not going to, if we are, if we are living our life using our dollars, making purchases or not, right? That are in alignment with those things that are important to us, those values, those priorities, those intentions, then we're not going to have that shame and that guilt. And we're not clearly on your end, we're not going to have all the negative side effects that come with clutter as well too, right? So it's a really inspiring, I think, approach to something that is has always sort of been done in like one way for me. And I've always thought of the holidays as just this like big chaotic kind of mess of wrapping paper and, you know, tinsel. <laughs> just <laughs> that's what I picture my life, right? Like, oh, we'll clean it up in January. But then, you know, how do you how, how do you start fresh? Right. And it's 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 tough. It's tough when you're, you know, raising a family and these are all priorities that you have though, that we need to also pass along to, um, to our kids too. And this, I think is going to be that the first year that I I'm I'm thinking that I'm just going to, you know, get them a few little things that I know that they want, um, probably Lego sets. And then also, have the experience. We actually just got back from Legoland, by the way, in New York, because my kids are obsessed with it. And we've gone a, gone a couple of times, but I, we spent a lot of money there. Um, it's not cheap, but I was so happy we did it because the look on their faces, they had an absolute blast. So maybe we, you know, do something like that again and use that as like, this is the gift, something to look forward to, right. Experiences. Yeah. And it's also every holiday season, I mean, not just the holidays, but really, you know, anytime we're celebrating something, we're able to pass those values down to our kids, we're modeling things. Right. And right. so what are we modeling? We're modeling that spending time as a family is more important than having so many gifts under the tree yeah. that are open about two minutes. And then it's like, then what, you know? So I, I really am trying to teach my boys the importance of having those experiences and kind of, they have an understanding of what I do as far as the decluttering goes, but just like, well, why, like, why are we doing it? It's because we want to be able to go to Legoland. We want to be able to spend time. We're going to Disney for the first time pretty soon. Oh, amazing. And we can't, you know, do that if we're constantly consuming and buying and, you know, spending money in that way. So I think it's really important for our kids too. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like they, they absorb everything. They're so smart. They see modeling is huge and they will just do the things that we do. So we, it's our responsibility to, you know, take this seriously and right to pass down those values. Um, and act in uh, act accordingly, uh, act al- in alignment with those values. So um, I love this. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so, so much for your time. Uh, before we wrap up, I would love to have you tell the listeners a little bit more how they can connect with you, talk about your podcast and your website yeah. and just how people can get a hold of you. Sure. So my podcast is Moms Overcoming Overwhelm. So anywhere you're listening to Megan, you can listen to me. And in there, I have a couple of different links. One is for the free Facebook group where I do every other week, we do decluttering challenges, 15 minutes a day for five days. And you have a chance to win free coffee gift cards or even free coaching with me. 
So that's probably the best place to go. Just going to my podcast and then all the info is there. I love that. I'm going to join. I need the challenge. That's a good motivator. (laughs) I will be more than happy to help you tackle your closet. It would be my pleasure. Wow. Thank you. I need it. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Emily, for your time. And uh, I can't wait to put this out there because I think a lot of the listeners are going to appreciate and and get a lot out of this too. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. 